0: Amen. I, I, I decided to go this direction this morning and, 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 and speak from what would be considered a non-traditional text as it relates to the resurrection uh, because of the tension that I feel like we often are living in when we think about the resurrection. And, and, and what I mean by that is that there's, there, Christ is alive, and, and yet there's 137 people that were alive. Um, killed, murdered um, in church this morning, in church. And so Jesus is alive, and, and, and yet this tension with, with, with life happening still exists. And I, I want to try to help us, if I can, by God's grace, make a connection between Jesus being alive and the life that we're currently living, Right? Because sometimes it's hard to make that connection, right? As a matter of fact, you, 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 you know, one of the ways that that people attack attack the Christian faith is is to attack that reality, right? If Jesus was living, if Jesus was alive, if he was really alive, then 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 why would stuff like that happen? And so I I, I want to spend some time really trying to connect the resurrection to to the life that we're living. And I pray and I pray that that, 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 that that we can make that connection, and I pray that that helps us this morning. Mark chapter five is a um, is a chapter that introduces us to two, to three different stories actually there there 's three different stories in mark the fifth chapter, and each story highlights a side of human suffering, for example, the earlier part of the chapter uh, highlights verses one through Uh, 20, highlight the the human suffering that is found in the form of spiritual bondage. A man possessed by demons, um, uh, when when Jesus forces the demons to declare who they are, they say we are legion for we are many. This man has been abandoned, this man is in chains, um, isolated from the rest of the world. Uh, He breaks out of the chains frequently. And, and, and wrestles people down, and so people are scared to be with him. People are scared to deal with him. They just say, "This is a crazy man. Let's just let's just leave him over here, isolated by himself, so he don't hurt nobody." True spiritual bondage, suffering. There's a there's a there's a another part of suffering that is found in the middle part of this chapter that highlights. Physical suffering, physical illness, a woman struggling with a debilitating condition that leaves her ostracized, again, isolated, again. And then finally, the latter part of the chapter highlights the kind of suffering that, that leads to death. And death is considered the, 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 the coldest and loneliest of places in all of human experience, right? Many of us fear what, what, what death looks like on the other side. We fear what's to come. And so all of this is, is suffering that is, that is shaped and molded by isolation, that's shaped and molded by abandonment, shaped and molded by being ostracized and, and, and being distanced from the rest of the world. And that suffering does not, it, it, that suffering is not in any shape or form uh, prejudice. That, that suffering touches this, this father, that suffering touches this mother, that suffering touches even this child. Suffering knows no bounds. None of them are exempt from the brokenness of the world. And so today, on the the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to focus on the suffering of the child. I want to point our attention to this child's suffering because I think there's a tremendous lesson for us and a glorious picture of Jesus' resurrection power in this story. We get a glimpse of why we are celebrating the resurrection when we look at the suffering of this poor little child. So first, we we look at her father in in verses 21 through 24. It says in verse 22 that there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, seeing Jesus, I'm sorry, Jairus, excuse me, Jairus. By name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So in the fifth chapter, there's crowds growing larger and larger and larger because Jesus is performing miracles and word is hitting the street about all the things that Jesus is doing. This person, this man hears that Jesus is near, that Jesus is close. And so Jairus being, he's a leader in the synagogue. He's a, he's a man that, 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 that is obviously devoted to the law of God. But he's also a, he's also a man who comes to Jesus a desperate man a desperate man. He refers to his child as little daughter, my little daughter, which in the original language, that word little is significant because it, because it, highlights, um, it highlights compassion and love and endearment. So he was devoted to the law, but he was extremely also devoted to his, to his baby. So he hears about this man named Jesus, and though some of his religious colleagues have already started to concoct a way to get Jesus off the radar to kill him if necessary, this man is taking a bold chance as a leader of the synagogue by even going to Jesus and requesting that Jesus come see about his baby. He wants to see if everything that he is hearing about Jesus is indeed true. This is a devout but desperate dad. And so Jesus hears this man's request, and they begin on their way, and there apparently is a decent walk between where Jesus was and where this man meets him to where his house is, to where Jairus' house is with his sick daughter. And there seems to be two obstacles at work that are prohibiting them from getting there as fast as they should. One is the crowd. There are large crowds that have, the Bible says, have begun to press in on Jesus. So these crowds, you can imagine trying to move through a crowd where everybody's trying to get a touch and everybody's trying to get a glimpse and everybody's trying to to get a grab of this man who, who they hear is performing miracles that have never been performed in their day. And so that slows progress from this man moving from the point that he met Jesus to the point where his daughter was. But then there's another delay that's very interesting. Verse 25 picks up that second delay. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment." See, this delay is filled with mixed emotions. I'll explain. The first emotion is joy. Joy because of this divine appointment, this divine engagement that, that ends this woman's suffering. Joy. See, this woman had experienced her own fair share of delays. Jairus has delays because the crowd is delaying him, and even this woman is delaying him getting to his daughter with Jesus, but this woman has had her own share. Of delays, 12 years of delays. This woman has lived with, for 12 years with this debilitating disease, this disease that not only probably caused suffering through pain, but also caused suffering through shame. See, according to Judaic laws and Judaic customs, a woman who was in the middle of a menstrual cycle was considered ceremonially unclean was considered ceremonially unclean. And those who touched her during that period were considered ceremonial unclean with her. So try to imagine if this season that's marked with blood brings you uncleanliness, brings you isolation, brings you loneliness, and then try to imagine living not just for a simple season, a week of the month, but try to imagine living every. which this woman was surrounded and engulfed in would have completely isolated her. And yet this woman is undeterred by her social stigma, right? Because she was desperate. She heard the same thing that Jairus heard, that there was a man who could put an end to my suffering. And so she was probably a woman who at the point where before this, before this whole thing started, probably had decent income because in that day, you couldn't, even, you couldn't even get doctors unless you had a little money. And so this woman probably had decent income, but, 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 but the Bible tells us that by now, she spent all of it. She's went from doctor to doctor to doctor. I'm sure have received all sorts of assurances that things are going to get better and they're only getting worse and worse and worse. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about there. And now she's literally broke, having spent all of her money. She runs into Jesus. So this woman is suffering physically. This woman is suffering socially in all of the isolation, but she's suffering financially even. As she approached Jesus saying and thinking to herself, verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. See, with just one touch, the physical suffering was over. But notice the woman, instead of feeling the first emotion of joy, feels another emotion, an emotion of fear. See, her physical suffering had finally come to an end, but she was still overwhelmed with fear because she knew that she was an unclean woman touching Someone who was deemed holy, obviously, so holy that he could heal with just a touch of his garment. And so whereas she was supposed to be celebrating and rejoicing, she was shuddering, fearful of having to face this man, this obviously holy man. Her physical suffering had come to an end, but her social suffering was still there. Jesus could have responded in many ways, right? He could have responded with condemnation. He could have responded with shame. What are you doing, unclean woman, touching me? What are you even doing in this crowd? Coming in contact with all these people, endangering all of us with your uncleanness and filth? Don't you know that everybody you brushed up against here could possibly be now declared unclean? What are you doing here? And how and why on earth would you touch me? And instead, he responds with these words. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. No condemnation, but rather commendation. Though she was unclean, her faith was giving her access to Jesus. I need you to hear that. Though she was unclean, her faith, was giving her access to Jesus. And in an instance, 12 years of physical suffering came to an end, but also 12 years of social suffering and torment came to an end. The delay, the 12 years delay, ends with joy. See, some of you came in here this morning and maybe maybe physically you are whole, but emotionally and spiritually you're damaged. Maybe, maybe you're maybe you're all right, and you put on a good face in the morning as you go to work, and or as you go to class or go to school, and and maybe things seem all right uh, from the surface, but but on the inside, you are an emotional and spiritual wreck. And you've you've avoided Jesus for a long time because because even though your physical maybe maybe your physical is all right on the inside you're just trying to be clean enough to get to him you're just trying to be clean enough to approach him you're saying I'm gonna get some things together and I'm, I'm I'm gonna get my life together and 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 all of this craziness that's going on I'm gonna fix this and then when I fix this then maybe I'll maybe I'll start back going to church maybe I'll start maybe I'll start back picking up my Bible and reading some more and. But I got to get rid of these friends that I'm hanging with. Man, they're just all over the place. They're all over the map. I got to stop partying so much, man. I'm just all over the place. I got to stop drinking so much. I got to stop smoking so much. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing that. I got to stop doing all these things. And then when I, when, when, when I clean up, then, then I'll come. You've been trying to get clean before you approach them, but I'm telling you, you don't get clean in order to approach Jesus. You get clean when you touch Jesus. You get clean when you trust Jesus. When you say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. I'll be whole. But there's an, another emotion in this story, and verse 35 it captures that emotion. It, it says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was giving his word of commendation to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further, talking to Jairus? And so there is this delay that, that this woman finally brings to, that Jesus finally brings to an end for this woman, and that delay brings, or that end to that delay brings joy. But then, then there is another delay that we're dealing with, and that is the delay of the crowd, and that's the delay of the people, and that's the delay of this woman that has prohibited and stopped jesus from getting to this little girl and that delay has brought sorrow and grief see there's a beautiful story about the delay ending in joy but that beautiful story is now being interrupted with a story of sorrow because of the delay that the beautiful story actually caused one person's suffering has ended but it feels like another person's suffering is really just getting started Like I said, there's mixed emotions in this story. I'm sure in this moment the father was escorting Jesus back to his home to heal his daughter. I'm sure sure that man, I'm sure Jairus was experiencing happiness at the sight of seeing Jesus work so miraculously to heal this obviously broken woman. And heal this woman of her physical infirmity and and reaffirm her dignity before all those that are gathered and, and, and show that she matters. Even though all these years we've been pushing her out to the outskirts, she matters. And I'm sure this man was happy to see that unfold. But man, what a feeling it must have been for him to see that woman get healed and then to hear immediately after. Man, you might as well leave Jesus here. Your daughter's dead. The woman's delayed suffering had come to an end. But the man's suffering, the father's suffering had just got started. One commentary actually talks about this delay. And he says, uh, the commentator says, I wonder, did hard thoughts about Jesus rise up in Jairus' heart at that point? I wonder, did he reproach him, despise him for this delay? I should not be at all surprised if that were so. And then he goes on and he says, Christ's delays are puzzling and perplexing at times. We raise an urgent cry to him, and instead of hasting to our help, he tarries and he waits. I have a friend who captures captures this great truth in in this really great sentence, and it's this, God is good, but life is tragic. God is good, but life is tragic. Our lives are lived in between the what is and what is supposed to be. That's what we live in. And so even on Easter morning, some of you guys rose with tears in your eyes. Took you everything just to roll out of bed and to show up. Because we live in the middle of what is and what is supposed to be. We look at our own imperfection and the damage that that, that it can sometimes uh, self-inflict on us, but, but also self-inflict on others around us in our relationships, and, and we look at the sufferings of this world and how it seems like folks have it really good around us, and other folks have it really bad like us, and many times it doesn't really appear to be any real rhyme or reason to it. it just, it's just random people are doing good. Random people are doing bad. And, and many of you bear witness to that reality. You identify with this man who has to watch this woman walk away healed and then listen listen to his friends tell him that his daughter's dead. Many of you, you, you identify with that. And as you survey the lives of those around you, you can't help but wonder, why is my life like this? Why can't I experience the joy that they're experiencing? And then the reality of that question is that the people that you're looking at, they're looking at you and they're saying, why is my life like this? Why can't I experience the joy that they're experiencing? Because none of us really know the brokenness that we're really dealing with. We're all bearing our burdens in different ways and hurting and in different ways and crying out to God in different ways. And so we're looking at each other thinking that your life is better than mine or, or and you're looking at me thinking that my life is better than yours. And the reality is, is that all of us are asking God, why is it like this? And the reality is, is because we're still living in the tension that God is good, but life is tragic. We're living in the midst of these delays where it often feels like God is just simply too late. But here's where the story turns. Here's where the story turns. When you look at verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Again, Jesus gives the key to approaching him faith in place of doubt. He says, do not fear. Believe. Believe I am who I say I am and and I will do what I said I will do. Jesus in his own way is saying, listen. You told me to come to your house. I'm coming to your house. You told me to come, I'm coming. I'm not too late. I'm coming, I'm going. Christ is the only man in the universe that's not derailed by death. He's the only one in the universe not distracted by delay. Because what we know and, and what these people later discover is that he's more than a man. He's 100%, man, but he's 100% God, and that's what they will soon learn. See, the delay doesn't catch Christ off guard. In fact, the delay could have very well been intentional. You say, well, wait a second, preacher. I don't know about that. Well, in John chapter 11, Jesus resurrects Lazarus. And most of us know that story. Anybody, anybody know that story about Lazarus being resurrected, Jesus calling to the tomb and saying, Lazarus, come forth. Well, one of the, the little-known highlighted facts about that story is that Lazarus is declared to be ill. His sisters tell Jesus, run, get, find Jesus in another town and say, Lazarus is ill. You need to come see about him. He's deathly ill. This is serious. And Jesus says, okay. And then he waits two days. He says, okay. And he waits two days. And then he travels. And the Bible gives no reason why he does that. And when he gets there, Lazarus is dead. Thanks, Jesus. Right? But he does say this to the, two, to the sisters before he makes the travel. They say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. He says, don't worry, this illness is not to death. But this is what he says. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This illness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, the same goal applies to this little girl. Sure, there were crowds pushing and and delaying delaying their their arrival, and sure, there was this woman along the road who, who delayed their arrival somewhat. But this little girl's sickness was not unto death, but it was for that uh, it was for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This child is sleeping, waiting to be awakened. This child is sleeping, waiting to be brought back to life. And so Jesus comes into the room. In verse forty-one. It says he takes her by the hand and he said to her. Talitha, Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, 12 years old of age, 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them, charged that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. This resurrection changed this family's life. It brought an end to this man 's suffering this father 's suffering it brought an end to this daughter 's death but it 's only half the story if you just if you just think about that person, think about that man, think about that daughter then then you you only got a piece of this story. What makes this story glorious is not simply Jesus' ability to, 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 to bring a little girl back from the dead, what makes this story glorious is that he possesses authority over death itself. So you see the resurrected daughter's story points to the resurrected son's story. This story is not just about one family. This story is about human, the human family. See, you see, there was, there was another loving father. And that loving father exists in heaven. He loved his only begotten son, but, but also loved his other children, those that he created in his image and in his likeness. And he, he loved those children so much that, that in order to put an end to the suffering, their suffering, that they self-inflicted, by the way, that they self-induced, by the way, In order to put an end to this illness that was a spiritual illness and not simply a physical one, but a spiritual one that impacts all of life, physical, emotional, psychological, and otherwise. In order to put an end to the suffering that began in the very beginning of humanity when when they chose to go their own way rather than the path that Jesus Christ, or rather than the path that the Father had paved for them in order to put an end to the suffering that Genesis 3 describes, when the children departed, when the tempter came along and said, you don't have to obey God. He just doesn't want you to be like him. In order to put an end to that suffering, third chapter of John says that the father loved those children so much that he sent his own begotten Son. The father loved those suffering children so much that he established a way to bring them healing from their suffering, to bring them freedom from their bondage, and to bring them life out of death. In order to bring healing to this suffering group, the father and the son did the unthinkable. They appointed the son to take on their suffering. See, Jesus becomes the suffering child in order to deliver all of the children from the bondage of sin. The prophet Isaiah, he describes it this way in Isaiah chapter 53. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, or with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ, though He was without sin, became the sufferer when He was hung on the cross for our sins, and in so doing, He paved a way to an end—not just the, uh, to an end, not just for the suffering of a demon possessed. Uh, not just to uh, an end to the suffering of a woman with an issue of blood, and not just to an end for the the suffering of a grieving father or a sickly daughter, but he paved a way to an end of all suffering. But see, that one one act is incomplete without the other act to follow. If Jesus was just a man who died on the cross and they buried him, they left him dead. He would be just like any other revolutionary that ever existed that tried to, that tried to stand up against power. He would, be, he would have been forgotten like every other re- uh, revolutionary that tried to stand up against Rome and was hung on the cross as punishment. As a matter of fact, the cross was purposefully, purposefully designed as a tool to make the world forget about you. It was meant to be a torturous tool for people to look away. For, 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 it was a declaration that this person is not important. Are you tracking with me? And yet, Jesus Christ is remembered through all of time. Here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and he is still celebrated, and we still rejoice. And people still follow him. The question is, why? Why? It's because Jesus showed us that he had power over death when he resurrected this little girl. But he also told us that he had power over death, even his own death. He tells us in John chapter 10 verse 17 that I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I... I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my father. So see, the same power that resurrected that little girl was the same power that resurrected Jesus. And it's the same power that that resurrected Jesus that he promises to utilize to resurrect us all at the appointed time. So the question is, why do I still suffer? Why do I still encounter loss? Why do I still have to read in the newspapers this morning that 137 people in Sri Lanka have to lose their lives as they celebrate this resurrected Savior on Easter morning? And My answer is the same reason the woman had to suffer for 12 years. The same reason that that father had to suffer as he watched that woman get healed and then received the news that his baby, his little daughter, was now dead. And the same reason that Lazarus had to die, and that mothers and that sisters grieved at his loss, it's so that God, throughout the course of human history, not just the course of your life, but the course of human history, and not even just the course of human history, but the course of eternity, might receive the maximum glory. It's so, that, it's so that even though there's suffering in these, these decades that we exist in, this, 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 this life is tragic, God is good moment that we all exist in, it, it, it's a suffering that's lived out because there's an eternity that, that's coming for all of us that lay, that lay our lives down at Jesus' feet. There's an eternity that's coming for all of us that we will look back at these moments and that we will offer him maximum glory for what he has given us in exchange for these moments. See, this I do know. The resurrection of Christ guarantees us that death has already been defeated and that the delays that you and I are experiencing in this life are not denials, but they are opportunities for God to display his supreme glory to all creation, both in the known universe and the unknown universe, both in this time of human history and beyond when we are long gone. The resurrection of Christ guarantees us that death has already been defeated and all of our delays will eventually be destroyed. Just like the delay that this woman experienced with her issue of blood. Just like the delay that this father experienced with his young daughter. Just like the delay that the sisters experienced with their brother Lazarus. All delays will come to an end because Jesus has power over death. One pastor puts it this way. He says, the resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across human history that reads paid in full. In the economy of the kingdom, there is no tear cry that cannot and will not be wiped away. Every single tear that we have spilled, if we are found in Christ, will be wiped away. The resurrection guarantees that. He has power to end suffering, folks. And I can't tell you when it's all going to end, but I can tell you that it will. And so how will you respond? How will you respond? The the, the, The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's what Tim Keller says. Meaning that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then whether or not you agree with his teaching is irrelevant. He's God. Does that make sense? No need to debate. He rose from the dead. That means follow. That means obey. And so so the father and the woman were both able to approach Jesus and receive his resurrection power by doing one thing, trusting him. The woman received from Jesus by trusting him. The father received from Jesus by trusting him. And we receive from Jesus. We receive salvation. We receive resurrection into the new life. We receive eternity by trusting him. By laying your life at his feet and saying, take it. It's yours. And I might not always go the direction that you asked me to go because I'm sinful. But, Lord, by faith, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to pursue you yet again because I trust you. You have the words of eternal life. You have life itself. And so I'm going after you. Fam, I ask that you trust him today, that you trust the God of the resurrection. Amen.